Hello, and welcome to Pull the Open, a Doctor Who podcast on the Grand Geek Gathering Network. Today, we're going to be discussing episode five of series 11, The Saranga Conundrum. It was written by Chris Chibnall and directed by Jennifer Perrault. Hope I'm saying that right. With me is crafty geek goddess Renee Thielman. Hi. And Ben Patton, who has too many things for me to list, so I'm just going to throw it to him. Yes, I am a comedian. I'm the host of the YouTube series Port Center for the YouTube channel Film Joy. And how many more times can I say YouTube? I'm thinking two is probably the limit. I've said it three times. I'm a liar. And I also host um, Look Who's Talking, which is a Doctor Who after show that we have after the episode every week at Geeky Tees in Burbank. Yes. Uh, yes. My name is Andy Nordball. I do a webcomic, my roommate, the Internet, and various sundry things on the Internet. But uh, actually, before we actually get into the Taronga Conundrum, just a couple news. First thing I didn't know, have you guys heard that there's going to be no Christmas special this year? Yes. Yeah. I have to refute every single news story. The rumor is that there's going to be no Christmas special, that it hasn't been confirmed yet by the BBC. And in fact, the two sources for this story are uh, the Metro, which is a free newspaper given away uh, on public transportation in the UK, which has a 0% success rate when it comes to reporting <laughs> Doctor Who rumors, and the Daily Mirror, which is the paper that famously, 10 years ago, reported that Australian pop star Kylie Minogue would be appearing in Doctor Who as a sexy cyberwoman, which is two halves of valid rumors superglued into one incorrect one. Yeah, um, so they were half I, right. Yeah, I, we know they're making... And the eleventh episode, we know they're making a special. It may not air at Christmas. We don't. We genuinely do not know yet. But yeah. it is being reported everywhere as absolute cardinal fact that there will not be a Christmas special. And nobody at the BBC, not Chris Chibnall, uh, not any of the you know the the Channel One, uh, the the BBC One uh, uh, controllers, no one has said whether the the, the Christmas special has been cancelled or not but it is being reported everywhere as fact and that is that is wrong and it, at this point that is not true well I and it's know, frustrating because... to me that it's being reported that way it's annoying oh I, I don't know because i think i'm kind of looking forward to the first doctor who kind of around new year's special it could be a I, new yeah. tradition <laughs> i don't know i mean in the uk christmas television is it's kind of a um it's a coveted uh, spot on British television. There's mm -hmm. a lot of history there. There's, it's it's kind of uh, hallmark viewing. So, uh -huh. um, in fact, the reason why, like Stephen Moffat stayed on um, to do a Christmas special with Peter Capaldi and had Peter Capaldi regenerate in a Christmas special last year because he didn't want to risk the show losing its Christmas Day slot. My current feeling right now is that there probably will be a Christmas special. I think ah. it's I think there will be a Christmas special because otherwise it's it, it's it's lunacy to think that Chris Chibnall um would just give up that that coveted prestigious Christmas day slot. Now, in fairness, Chris Chibnall has made a lot of choices this season that have rubbed me the wrong way that we'll we'll get back to when we discuss yes. the episode. But I I I want to believe I am I am Fox Mulder in this situation. I want to believe that he is not so incompetent that he would let the Christmas Day slot go. I, I need to believe that. But it is okay. it is it is rubbing me the wrong way that it is being reported as absolute fact when it has not been confirmed yet. Ah uh, yes. Well, I, I hope that doesn't actually extend to the elections tomorrow, which also has lots of things being reported as fact. Actually, though, that leads into the second bit of information because this is actually 
Well, of course, Chris Chibnall is the uh, showrunner, so he's still involved. But this is the last Chris Chibnall written episode we will see for a while. The next four, so far, every episode has been written or co-written, in the case of Rosa, by Chris Chibnall. But we are about to hit a stretch of four non-Chris Chibnall scripted episodes, which, uh, as we'll probably get into a little bit as we get into this episode, I'm, I'm sort of looking forward to seeing uh, Jodie Whittaker with some uh, other writers' uh, scripts, given her words. What do you yes. guys think? Very um, excited. Yeah. I, I, I can't wait to see Jodie's Doctor and these companions in the hands of a good writer. Because I'm re- I'm, I, I love Jodie, and I love Yaz, I love Graham, I love Ryan. I think these are really strong characters, but they are not being served by Chris Chibnall's writing. Like, we've, we're five yeah. episodes into the season now, and I've only really enjoyed two of them. I loved the first episode, I loved Rosa, but the rest of the season so far has has just been has been boring i've been bored yeah. and I, I i don't like that i don't like being bored by doctor who even during you know david tennant's last season um is to me one of the weakest seasons of the show i love tennant i love Catherine tate i love them together and that season has some of my favorite episodes like silence in the library forest and the dead and midnight turn left um yeah, some strong the, ones there. Yeah, but the <laughs> rest the of that season, season, yeah, that the rest of that season is is forgettable. Yeah. And so far, we've had of the of the five episodes we've had so far, sixty percent of them have been boring. They've been yeah. forgettable. Like even it's, the titles of the episodes have have been nothing. Yeah, it's very interesting the way Chris Chimnall is in many ways the inverse of Stephen Moffat. Stephen Moffat wrote some great individual episodes, and he was, I think, a really good episode writer, but not a very good showrunner. And even when his seasons were careening out of control, and some of them went way, way out of control, it was at least fun to watch the craziness. Chris Chimnall seems very different. He seems much more like the showrunner. He's made a lot of good decisions for the direction of the show. He's, he's picked some great directors. The show has a wonderful visual look and visual music. I just wish his scripts were better. I don't know, Renee, what do you think? I keep thinking that he, um, with the Doctor being female and Mm -hmm. that alone being such a huge change, that he's been trying to play it so safe with these very formulaic episodes that you you just know what's going to happen already, like every single one. And his twists have been... (laughs) <laughs> with villains, you know, so you think yeah. it's going to be the spiders, but it's the Trump guy or, you know, is it the really scary alien or is it really adorable? And maybe the other people are going to blow up the ship. He just keeps trying to add these little things into it. But overall, the episodes are very they follow a formula. And yeah. I thought that maybe he was trying to keep it very simple so that we could get to know Jody and the new crew. But yeah. like Ben said, it's it's getting kind of boring and I'm really wanting somebody to write Jody well. Yeah. Very she good deserves point. that. That's a really good point. I think he is playing it safe, which, which uh, hopefully we will start yeah. to see less of as we get some new writers in there. Right now. I feel that the era of the show, this most reminds me of has been um, Peter Davison's first season. Uh, <laughs> David, D- Peter Davison, 
was a phenomenal casting choice as as the Doctor. He he's he's an amazing actor. He's one of like the Fifth Doctor was one of my all time favorite Doctors. His first season is boring. It, there's boring. so many dull stories yeah. in uh in 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 Peter Davison's his, his first season was season nineteen, I believe. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of clunkers in there. You've got. Um, you know, really the only solid episode in that first season is, I think, Earthshock. The rest of it is just, oh, yeah. you know, it's you've got stuff like uh, Black Orchid and uh, uh, Enlightenment, Ford of Doomsday. Yeah, that's, this is yeah. stuff that is just, it's just not interesting to watch. And that's what Jodie's era is reminding me of. This is a really strong actress in the role of the Doctor. You need her, especially the first woman playing the role, you need her first season to be firing on all cylinders. And my worst fear about Chibnall taking over was not that Jodie wasn't going to be um, up to snuff. My worst fears were three companions is too many, which we've yeah. seen like Yaz is constantly sidelined in the show. I know. And they remembered she was a police officer today, which I thought yeah, was cool. But that was nice. Kind of forgot um, about it last week. Yeah. Uh, and, but then the, my other concern was that Chibnall's writing is very formulaic and cynical and I, I, I wouldn't enjoy his take on the show and I don't like being proven right in that sense. Like I don't like thinking Chibnall's error is going to be a disappointment yeah. and then being disappointed by his error of the show. I don't, I, I don't, this is my favorite TV show of all time. I've been a fan, my earliest childhood memories were watching Doctor Who. I don't like being bored by it. It terrifies yeah. me to be bored by my favorite show. Because the say, last time, the last time this happened was in the 80s and the show got canceled. Like, I don't yeah. like that. <laughs> oh, really? Well, wait, we're talking Sylvester McCoy or Colin Baker? Well, Colin Baker, oh, but like, I, I like Peter Davidson. I like a lot, like end of Peter Davison. Peter Davison's last season is really strong. Yeah. Colin Baker, like, I like. I'm I'm one of the fourteen people on the planet who enjoyed Trial of a Time Lord, um, but <laughs> Colin Baker's first of the two seasons and his his first uh, his his first story, which debuted at the very end of season twenty one. Yeah, that was amazing. Is, is rough. And the show didn't really find its footing again until Sylvester McCoy's second season. Like like the Seventh Doctor and Ace is when the show is starting to. Um, like find its footing again, and and you got Andrew Cartmel serving as the script editor, and it was, but it was it was too little, too late. Like the BBC had already made their decision by the time seasons twenty five and twenty six were in production, and yeah. it scares me to see Doctor Who in the state it was in in the eighties because. If it's bad now and it's going to be bad for an, or, or disappointing and boring for a number of years, pulling out of that tailspin, yeah. has, history has shown us that is a difficult thing for this show to do and it may not survive it. And that's, that's me being hyperbolic. I know I'm being hyperbolic, but I'm again, this is my favorite TV yeah. show. Like I grew up with it. I, I, I grew up watching VHS cassettes of this show. And mm -hmm. uh, when the show came, like the show literally saved my life when it came back in 2005. And the idea that... Yeah, it was a good, it was a good comeback. I'm yeah. a little more optimistic because he seems like a steady hand at, 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 the, at the till. Is that the steady hand at the rudder? And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing different writers put under him. Yeah, it's very strange. I... This, these past few weeks, and even back when I was thinking over his past Doctor Who and Torchwood, there's always been something about Chris Chibnall that, that underwhelmed me, and I always had trouble putting my finger on it. And I think it's because a lot of times his episodes really lack a central theme or a central unifying idea. Like, he'll throw interesting ideas in little moments, but they're not really tied into the to the main story at all. Yeah. Like, like uh, the whole thing about, uh, what is it, the... 
uh, curiosity and imagination being so important. Seemed like it was going to be so important to the story. We're getting into the Saranga conundrum now. Seemed like it was going to be so important to the story, and it just kind of got dropped. And then there was this whole thing about how Malby had to take command, and she really lacked confidence, which was an interesting thing. So I thought Malby was going to have some role saving the day at the end, but no, she didn't. And also a really interesting idea, although it, it gets a little weird, this idea that like the doctor at the end was like being a jerk because she was doing her usual thing, which is like to take command and tell people what to do, which I also thought was an interesting thing. But that also got dropped because what does she do at the end? She takes command and she saves the day and she, you know, tells people what to do. So, yeah, it's, it's weird. Like I want some connecting, unifying idea. Like, like exactly. Like, why am I watching this story? You know? Yeah. And, and I don't know why, like, why are these characters in the story? Like what's at stake emotionally for them? You kind of got it a little bit in the B story with Ryan, like making friends with the pregnant guy. But in the A story, there was just there was it was like there was no there there. I don't know. What do you guys think, uh, Renee? We haven't heard from you. Well, what's your take? What's your grand unified theory of Chris Chibnall? Yeah. I know that's a lot to, to yeah. toss on you. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, I feel like you're setting me up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, I, mean I just think that it like like I said, like what he's known for, like the you know broad church and things like that, are so much are so different than what doctor who is and i think i got so used to moffat and things where a lot of things that he would drop were important and you had to you were like oh yeah that one thing but i feel like he's just putting so much information and things out there that are not necessarily going to be followed up on yeah um in the long run they said that they weren't going to be doing like a whole overarching um what was it like a whole you know, well, they said no story, but but they did do some things that we even talked about, like, yeah. you know, that we thought might be a thing, but then it we haven't up. seen them again. Even yeah. the the teeth aliens, we they talked about them twice and then nothing for the last like three episodes. Yeah. So are they yeah. important? Are they going to come back? What you know, it's like that kind of thing that you're questioning it. It's funny, you still see his background in TV drama with the little things with Ryan and Graham, but it seems like it's almost on a parallel track. It never intersects with the sci-fi stuff, which is when sci-fi and fantasy become really interesting, when you're connecting it with real emotional things that the characters mm. are going through. And that's the thing that he hasn't quite managed to do. Like like Buffy, I suppose, would be the ultimate example of it, fantasy instead of sci-fi. But, you know, he was, he was so good, and Buffy was so good at stories where the fantasy element tied in some direct and interesting way to, to very relatable coming of age things. And I, and I don't see that emotional underpinning as much in Dr. Who with one exception, actually, I, I think I really liked, I think more than a lot of you guys, I really liked the ghost monument. And I think I liked it because it had a through line. It was about something. It was about the fact that we were stronger together and the whole episode really, how should I put it? It had a clarity and a focus because it was all about that. But the other episodes just kind of seem all over the place. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, I, I did not like the Ghost Monument at all. <laughs> um, but uh, just focusing on... You know on, when you on... come up with a good theory, you immediately like everything that fits that theory. So yeah. that, that might be what's happening. <laughs> the, the problem is that a lot of the stuff that happened in the Ghost Monument, uh, like the race... The, we're not talking about the Ghost Mon Monument here, so I'm not going to harp on it for too long. But the race stuff didn't feel like a race. The stuff that felt like it was feeding into an overarching plot, like the Timeless Child and the Stenza again, like... Yeah. None of that stuff has been mentioned since, as 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 you've pointed out. Um, 
and the episode itself was like it's a long walk where nothing happens like if you remove the doctor and the companions from that story it doesn't change that much it's kind of a a Raiders of the Lost Ark style narrative, and by, by which I mean, yeah. you know, you can take Indy out of Raiders and the same thing happens. Um, with this episode, I felt like there were lots of li- lovely little character moments in this episode, which is something mm-hmm. I think Chibnall excels at. Like, when I think of Chibnall's writing for Doctor Who in the past, I think that the, the three episodes that come to mind the first are um, Cyberwoman, the Torchwood episode, that is one of the worst things <laughs> ever written for British television ever. Um <laughs> Dinosaurs on a spaceship. No, Kylie Minogue. Dinosaurs on a spaceship, um, which uh, is 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 a, a fun episode, especially if you're eight or high or a yeah. high eight year old. Um, and uh, um, the Power of Three, which is a fairly forgettable episode, but has that yeah. wonderful conversation between the Eleventh Doctor and Amy Pond, where he says, "You know, you you know, you were the first face this face four, and I'm not running." away from you, I'm running to you. That's a wonderful moment. And that moment is why Stephen Moffat said, you know, that Chris Chibnall's one of his biggest strengths is dialogue. We're not seeing that in the show. A lot of the dialogue that has popped up over the last, you know, five weeks has been kind of filler TV dialogue. Like it's 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 cookie cutter dialogue. And the, the, yeah. the biggest um, offense to that is um, when you have uh, the, the pilot and her engineer brother and they're telling each other these things and you know they call each other sis and bro and no one talks like that in the universe i have a sister you know what i call her 80 percent of the time i call her stinky and she calls me smelly in return that is how siblings communicate like i don't well especially these two because yeah they were always getting on each other's nerves yeah like there's so much stiffness in in the dialogue um and there's so many put like yaz got sidelined in this episode again Uh, like her big scene the biggest problem right now is that yaz exists in the show almost exclusively to give someone for ryan to talk to to uh, to give ryan someone to unpack a complex emotion at yeah like yaz we, you know, the closest we got to, to seeing anything of who Yaz is was in Arachnids in the UK, where we got to meet her family. And her family are won- wonderful, marvellous characters. That The interactions were fun, and we're probably not going to see much of them again because Yaz yeah. is running away from them. Like, we're going to get some of, you know, some some more Yaz, hopefully, um, with with next week's episode, because it's about her family history, and it's 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 going yeah. to be set in a pretty I, important I historical... I for that one. It yeah. looks amazing. Yeah. So yeah, it looks like we're now into the Saranga conundrum. So let's let's talk about it. Uh, I don't know. It sort of reminded me of um, sometimes I'll go and eat uh, at Subway. I'll get a Subway sandwich, and it's never my favorite meal, but you know I like it while I'm eating it, and then I forget that I ate it. And that yeah. was kind of the Saranga conundrum for me. Like even the title, like the title yeah. seems to have been like precision made by Chris Chibnall to be forgettable. Like yeah. you can't pronounce one of the words. <laughs> and the other word I've forgotten. I, it's gone. Like I can't but remember. Is it was conundrum? I, I don't that know. The title was interesting because both this episode and the last one seemed like they were longer episodes that got a bunch of stuff got cut out. Yeah. Like there was definitely some stuff cut out from Arachnids in the UK. And this one, I think something must have got cut out because I don't even know what the conundrum was. Was the conundrum beating the pating? Was it the, figuring yeah, that, out what that the was the conundrum? Was? was how do you defeat something that you can't touch it and it can eat anything? Like that was like I didn't have any problem with that conceptually. It's just 
it's again, it's a fifth Doctor era title. It's a yeah. title that doesn't mean anything. Like it doesn't. Yeah. It's it's immediately forgettable. Like think of the great titles from the Russell T Davies era or the Stephen Moffat era. You have things like again, no, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, uh, <laughs> Silence in the Library, uh, The Unquiet Dead. Um, yeah. You know these are these are titles that are that have weight and meaning and are memorable i'm not like i i i'm a nerd i pride myself on remembering the title of yeah. pretty much every doctor who story ever i keep forgetting this one like and, yeah, and part I, of it is because the episode itself is so middle of the it's milk toast it's yeah, boring i don't i don't want to damn it with faint praise yet it's really hard to come up with anything more than faint praise to say yeah. about it you know i mean it was it was fine you know the Doctor was charming. There was an interesting alien, although I wasn't that crazy about it. There was good guest characters. It's It was a good iteration of a thing I've seen a whole bunch of more times. I don't know. Renee, what was your take on the on the Taranga conundrum? Um, I thought it, the Pating was adorable. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know that's why it was there. Like, yeah, I get it. I absolutely agree with you. I uh, wonder if they introduced it early because they wanted it as the plush toy. I think it would have been much cooler if they waited and we thought yeah. it was going to be this big, scary thing. And it's just like the Adipoise with teeth, you know? Yeah. So I, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 was, it was cute. They should have let it grow a little bit, though, um, in your mind, like you're saying, yeah. and, and then yeah. showed it. But, I, you know, I have a one-year-old and it walks <laughs> very similar to the Pating or she. Yeah. <laughs> My child's not an it, but uh, she walks very similar to the Pating. So, you know, when its little butt is going down the thing, all I could think about was that it looked like a toddler. The yeah. the biggest problem I had with the Pating, the Pating as an idea, the Pating is brilliant. I love the Pating. I, I would I would love to see the Pating show up in a, in a more interesting story. The problem, <laughs> the problem with the Pating is they set it up as a threat and then it goes away and we don't see it for most of the episode. Like... The episode, like the pacing on this episode, is 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 wretched. Like, yeah. it, it it's pacey at the beginning. Then we see the pating. Then we have the doctor trying to figure out what to do. And then the doctor says, "There's a okay. We're gonna have a meeting in seven minutes." And then the episode stops, so we can have all of these little character asides. And the character asides, there's nothing wrong with them. They're well written. They flesh out some of the characters. But the but the I the plot a bit of problem stops. With We'll come back. The, to it. the plot just stops, so yeah. we can spend. It's not seven minutes. It feels like an hour, so we can spend an hour. What feels like um, talking we to all to of these side characters. Yeah. yeah, like you could. Uh. The, the the narrative just stops. Like the thing I'm getting the most from this season of Doctor Who is it is in desperate need of a script editor to come in and just ask why like why does the narrative need to stop here it needs it, it the, the great thing about the russell t davies era of the show and to a certain extent the stephen moffat era of the show is it didn't stop like russell t davies made sure that every season of the show ended on a cliffhanger and the reason he did that is because he he, he wanted to show to the audience that the story keeps going the, the things keep moving and this 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 episode and quite a lot of this season so far it's been it stops. It pauses. The pacing yeah. is wild this season, and I'm just, I'm not digging it. Yeah, it. It almost seems like they're afraid to go big for the climax. I keep wanting that big, like, doctor moment where he, fa she, he, she, he or she faces off with, like, a big villain and triumphs. I guess this is the closest we got to it. But even then, it's it's not like she actually defeats the Pating. She just manages to 
give it a nice meal and then send it on its way. Well, like, I mean, but that's what is... keeps happening every single episode so far. The bad yeah. guy has gotten away every single yeah. episode. Well, I mean, I, I will forgive it a little bit for the Bating because the Bating is not like a villain in the traditional right. sense. The Bating is a, an, 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 a, a creature, a, a living organism going off of instinct. Like I had no problems with the resolution of like dealing with the Pating in this episode. I had major problems with the spiders in Arachnids in the UK because what the doctor oh, yeah. basically does is she shuts them in a cupboard. That's how I deal with spiders. I want the doctor to have a little more like control over the situation than I would. That's you know, right. like that's mm -hmm. I, I keep thinking of the RTD era where like you would have the doctor just sometimes it would get a little too melodramatic where you know he would jerry up something to save the universe and defeat the ultimate evil and it got a little big but at least it was satisfying it, yeah. just having these like small villains who aren't really villains who then sort of get defeated it it just it lacks a certain amount of punch i mean it's doctor who i don't want the the the, the understated anticlimactic ending you know well, and I thought, like, this poor little Pating, he's just trying to eat, like, he's yeah. got adorable big eyeballs. Why couldn't they just find a way to get him onto one of those junk planets? Oh, yeah, there'd be plenty of stuff. Yeah. Oh, my God, that's such a better ending. Then yeah. he could eat, he could be technically recycling and keeping the planet a little cleaner. Yeah. I mean, that's where I thought they were going with it, and then he just, like, floated out into space. And I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit upset when Yaz kicked him. I felt like it was, like... <laughs> kicking a puppy like it made yeah. me kind of sad even though he's like toxic and whatever yeah. Toxic he is. yeah uh oh, well we, we said the side characters are good but i gotta say i mean i thought he was wonderfully acted but the pregnant guy yas i mean every pregnant guest character that has ever appeared in tv goes into labor right before the climax so you can just add a little extra craziness to cut to and i guess it's progress now that it's a guy but i mean God, if I never see another pregnant guest character like going to labor right as the climax kicks in, you know, I, I it will the, be too soon. The big problem I had with that character, um, and I, I get that the character is it's a non-human character, but the character he looks human. He looks yeah. like me, in fact. He looks a bit like me. Well, they sort of established that in the yeah. show now. The the world yeah. is filled with people who look like human who aren't human. Yeah. Which, I guess it's better than the Star Trek bumpy forehead, but yeah. yeah. The big problem with that is he 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 says, you know, men have boys and women have girls. And as progressive as it is to have a pregnant male on the show, uh, the problem is that's kind of, you know, that's a very cis-normative uh, approach to male pregnancy, even in an alien race, like uh, because you, especially when the alien race looks so human, yeah. it's saying that there's this gender binary. There's men and there's women, and the men have the men, and the the women have the women. And uh, what about people who you know don't identify as uh, you know uh, just male or just female, or they exist somewhere on the gender spectrum? Like how does how does their culture and their society deal with that? And I think that by saying, you know that that men have boys and women have girls. That's, it just seems very reductive and, and, yeah. and cis-normative in a way that I do. Like, everything else about the character, you know, even the predictable going into labor before the end of the episode, like, everything else, I loved. He was fun. I, I, I do struggle a little bit with the idea of, like, Ryan talking him into having a, you know, keeping the kid. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I struggle that. with that a little bit. But everything else, like, he's, a, he's an interesting character. He wasn't treated like a joke. The joke, if anything, was... Ryan and Graham's reaction to yeah. a, a to to a pregnant guy, and it wasn't 
he the, the pregnant guy was not made the butt of the joke at any yeah. point. The butt of the joke was Graham and Ryan for being squicked out by it. And yeah, I, oh, you finished? I, I also uh, was really bugged by by Ryan convincing Yas to have the baby for no other reason than it you know helped Ryan's growth, I guess, which. I'm always worried out when the guest character, you know, has to make a life decision just because it reflects well on the on the main characters. I wouldn't have had a problem with it if the the, the pregnant guy had had given more indication that it, he he decided to get rid of the baby, but that it, he was in two minds of it. Like he seemed yeah. very yeah, very exactly. confident that that was what that was for him the right choice, and he made a good point. Like, you know not everyone is equipped to raise a child. He's carrying the child to term. Yeah. Like, that's something, you know? And it feels like Ryan kind of convinced him based on nothing. Well, and I, to I be fair, that that happens, you know, every day. I have friends that have gone through the adoption process, and women have pregnancies every day that they plan on giving the baby away up until that baby is born. As a person that's birthed two children, it's... I am not the kind of person that I felt super connected to my baby while I was pregnant. It wasn't until they were born that I was like, oh, my God, you're a human. I love you. <laughs> so for me, it, I kind of understood it a little bit more because once you go through all that work and it comes out and you look at it, it it's a little bit different. It's, I mean, I, I know that they probably did use Ryan and stuff like that, but I don't think it was as bad as as you guys think it was. Yeah. I mean, I'm also not sure what they were trying to say, because, I mean, it was, Ryan sort of had this idea, hey, if you just show up, you'll be a good dad, but a good parent, I should say. But it was this weird subtext that they never really thought through of like, oh, this child is definitely going to be better with the person he is genetically related to than than adopted parents, which kind of sticks yeah. it to Gareth, because, you know, Ryan has had two parents who had to deal with the death of a spouse and his birth dad just totally bailed. And the, the, the step, step granddad actually stuck around. So yeah. I'm not sure why Ryan was thinking like, there's no way an adoptive parent could ever take care of this kid as well as, as, as the birth parent. That seemed a little, I don't think he odd. was even thinking that far. I yeah. think he was just going with a baby needs a dad because his yeah. dad wasn't there. Yeah. yeah. I, that's a good point. But yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just part of my general chimney complaint. Like he doesn't think, it doesn't seem like he thinks the emotional through line through of some of these things that he raises. Yeah. Uh, okay. I agree. And yeah. And uh, what did you think? Like I've noticed in a lot of these scripts, how should I put it? Uh, the doctor is, is denied the chance to, to take control. Like in Rosa, it was her choice. Because, you know, she couldn't take control because it had to be Rosa's story. She Rosa had to be the hero of Rosa. And here she gets a, a dressing down from Astos. But, you know, taking control is what the doctor does. And it, it's it's and I'm not sure what they're trying to say here about like about how this doctor shouldn't take control. Because, you know, Hashibet, there's also the fact that she's a woman. And, and, you know, when women are assertive, that is often looked down upon. And I don't think they're doing that consciously. But. Has anyone noticed there's sort of a weird undercutting of the Doctor as, like, the central heroic figure of her own series? Well, and I, it goes back to what I said before. She's mm -hmm. not supposed to take um, charge of anything, and all of her bad guys are getting away. Yeah. Um, which I don't expect her to, you know, murder them all, but 
just let them starve to death. You know, you know starve, yeah. Stick you them know. in a room and starve. It's cool. But, you know, but mercy- really, like, nothing, none of the her episodes feel like they ended well on the villain regard. Like, mm-hmm. they end well. Everybody's happy, you know, in her group. Everybody's okay or maybe, you know, somebody died or whatever. But her group, her core is okay and gets out of it. But what happens to the rest of it doesn't ever really seem finished or put through all the way. Yeah, she's never really had one where she, like, completely triumphs. You know, like, we've all seen Doctor Who. We all have seen those ones where, like, the Doctor saves the day and everyone's like, go, Doctor. And it seems like they're almost afraid to do that in a weird way. I'm not sure. What do you, what do you think, Ben? I don't know. Like, I again, I, I love, I love Jodie, but... Uh, one of the things, one of the guests that look who's talking this week was Melinda Catherine Gross, and she, mm-hmm. um, she and I have she and I have had many many conversations about what the season of Doctor Who could be in the run up to uh, you know the, the, the series broadcasting, and her big fear was that Jodie Whittaker was a middle of the road choice for the Doctor, and she's very happy to be proven wrong. Her mm-hmm. big fear, which is a fear that I shared, is that Chibnall doesn't have the chops to run the show, and yeah. I feel like that's. I feel like that's 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 come true to an extent. And one of the one of the things that she said uh, 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 on Sunday night, which I completely agree with, is that we're seeing the the first female Doctor with the training wheels on. Like, take yeah. the training wheels off. Like, let her be. Let the Doctor be the Doctor. Don't hold her back. Don't hold her down. Let her be the Doctor. Think about how many times in this episode women apologized. In yes. this episode, there were so many. I'm like. I'm I'm sorry for being the doctor at one point at the yeah. beginning of the episode and then near the end when the, the 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 pilot is is dying she apologizes to her brother for dying like the I I the show went from being so progressive to being so hopeful and 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 further progressive with having a female doctor and having an incredibly diverse crew on the TARDIS but the writing hasn't been consistently holding the doctor back and i don't Mm -hmm. like it again it's shades of the peter davison era a lot of the time like one of the things that happened in the in peter davison's first season is they destroyed the sonic screwdriver and i'm not saying the sonic screwdriver is an integral part of who the doctor is but certainly it's it's an integral part of what the show uh you know part of who the doctor is to an extent and uh i think that that's kind of happened a little bit in this show, not with the sonic screwdriver, yeah. <laughs> um, which, by the way, I will notice that after the Pating ate the sonic screwdriver and spat it out and it didn't work, it came back to life conveniently when the Doctor needed to use it. So, yeah. like, in a scene where she didn't even need to use the sonic, like, she could have tap a tap a tap it on a computer and then hit the eject the, the CD bomb button on yeah. the thing, and, like, she could have accomplished the same thing without her sonic, but instead they decided to just lazily have the sonic boot itself, yeah. like, uh, th- that's beside the point. The, 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 the destruction of the sonic metaphor in this season is not the sonic itself destroying, but it, it, the equivalent from Peter Davison's season being the sonic destroying, this season is the doctor is being held back. It is like yeah. there is an invisible force holding the back of her braces so that she cannot walk forward. And it is frustrating to watch because Jodie is brilliant. She has shown time and time again that in the right hands, in the right moments, she is exceptional. She excels at playing this character. And I wish that the writers would write that character for her to play. 
it's like they're afraid for her to be too awesome, you know? And, and she just, she has such a great awesomeness to her. I'm like, yeah. let the awesome beast out. A friend of mine has compared uh, Jodie Whittaker's casting to Piers Brosnan as James Bond in that he thinks, I disagree with this, but he thinks Piers Brosnan was the perfect choice to play Bond in the 90s. Mm. And but He was, he he was had, better than a lot of people think, I would say. I, I, I liked Goldeneye, but um, the, the problem is that Goldeneye aside, the rest of Pierce Brosnan's movies were not good. And as good well, as you may think Pierce Brosnan... It's a tangent, but he was yeah. not the bad thing in them. No, but <laughs> it doesn't... That, but that's the point. Like, if Pierce Brosnan is a good choice for James Bond and you've got him in bad Bond movies, people think of him as a bad Bond. You have Jodie yeah. Whittaker, who is undoundedly a phenomenal actor, the perfect choice to play the first woman doctor. Well, and she's and you got are a not... great energy that matches. Yeah. It's not that she's a good actor. She's a really good actor for this part. Absolutely. You know? But yeah. she's the, the episodes are not elevating to meet her. They they are pulling her down. And I don't like it because if the, if the show fails, if the, if the show is under, is, is, is critiqued, for being bad they're not going to say the writing's not up to snuff they're not going to say Chris Chibnall's not doing a good job as a showrunner they're going to say it's the first woman doctor it's bad because it's the first woman uh. doctor and I, I, I not just not just from a perspective of, of, of a progressive Doctor Who fan but as a Doctor Who fan generally I don't want the, the, I don't want a doctor, let alone the first female doctor, to have a bad run because of bad writing. That is what happened to Colin Baker. Colin yeah. Baker was not a bad choice for doctor. He was not served by the writing that he was given. Yeah. And and he he was the he's I the only actor. Sylvester McCoy. I know people disagree, yeah. but yeah, I think Sylvester McCoy was another doctor that was just let down by the writing. So I don't know, Renee, Renee, what do you think? I, I I I hope we're not cutting you off here. No, you're fine. Ben has way more, um, you know, intelligent things to say on the matter than I do. Yeah. I, I, well, I mean, my, my, my position, my opinion comes from, you know, a life lived, just absorbing Doctor Who via osmosis. Like, it's just sucked into every pore. And I, I'm, I'm by no means like the world's greatest Doctor Who fan. I know some, I have friends who like to position me in that place, <laughs> position, but I'm not that guy. But like, I look at, what happened with Colin? Like, Colin Baker is the only actor to have been fired from the role of the Doctor, and it's not because he wasn't a good actor. It's because he he was he wasn't served by the writing, and the people at the BBC looked at it and thought, ah, it must be because Colin Baker is bad. And it wasn't yeah. because Baker was bad. It was because he wasn't served by the writing. And I don't want the same thing to happen to the first female Doctor. Jodie Whittaker is exceptional, and she deserves so much better than what she's being given. I agree. It would be devastating if she wasn't given the chance that she deserves. Yeah. Um, I mean, her, everything about her when she's on screen, if you, even if you muted it and you just watched her, she's so the doctor, her faces, yeah. her mannerisms. I love all of it. I just wish that she would get some better stories. So I'm hoping yeah. that with the next four, it, there might be a little bit of a turnaround, but we've had, I know that a lot of people complained about Capaldi's first season oh, um, writing. Um, and so maybe it's just hard to, I don't know, get in the groove of a new person, but I, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily think that's true. Like the, like Matt Smith's first season was until Capaldi's second season, the best season of the show. Like yeah. uh, Matt Smith's first season was exceptional from start to finish. It dipped a little bit, 
um, with the uh, Silurian two-parter, which, fun fact, was <laughs> by Chris Chibnall. Um, Chris Chibnall, yeah. But apart from that, Matt Smith's first season is spectacular. The idea that a Doctor's first season is bad is a myth, and you only need to look at William Hartnell's first season or Patrick Troughton's first season or even, uh, uh, you know... John Pertwee, too. John I mean, Pertwee's it, first season. Like, Tom Baker's first season has oh, yeah. the Ark in Space, the Sontaran Experiment, and Genesis, Genesis of the Daleks. Genesis of the Daleks, like, yeah. There's so much, like... The, the idea that a first season is bad is a, is a is a modern myth because there have been some well, bad first seasons. It can happen because especially when it's a a very new doctor, it can be it can be hard to find that what's the word the rhythm the groove of yeah. it. You know, like oh yeah, you're and right. Then, sometimes you're great out of the gate, and sometimes it takes you a while to figure it out. Like it, David Tennant, it took a while to figure out. And oh yeah, his his it first like it was season, Jody, it took a while to figure out. And Peter Cabaldi, it took yeah. a while to figure out. It still yeah. got good. I mean, I, I don't want to give up hope. It's just you know, sometimes new doctors have. Growing pains, for lack of a better the, word. The the key difference is we haven't just got a new doctor; we have a new showrunner as well. Yeah, and true. as bad, like David Tennant's first season was very uneven, but it was Russell T Davies' second season. Um, the, the people complain about you know, Peter Capaldi's first se uh, season was rough, but it was uh, uh, Stephen Moffat's fourth season. Like we are looking not just at Jodie Whittaker's first season; we're looking at Chris Chibnall's first season, and right now, with 60% of the episodes being boring, it's just, it doesn't bode well for his era of the show, and it has me actively afraid, not just for the show's future, but for um, Jodie's future on the show as well, because she deserves better. That entire cast deserves better. Yaz, as a character, uh -huh. deserves yes. better, because she is being constantly sidelined. This was, this was my fear, by the way, when they first announced they were doing Three Companions, because that's something yeah. the show hasn't been able to do well since the 60s. Peter Davison, famously, Three Companions, one of which was um, uh, Nyssa, who was an alien who had slightly side powers and the way that they dealt with there being too many companions was she would frequently have headaches and have to like rest in the TARDIS <laughs> or go off yeah. and have a nap somewhere and that you know, you know that that's how they dealt with it and in, in the modern show what they're doing is they're just having Yaz be there and occasionally be someone that Ryan gets to have like again like emotionally unpacking conversation with well I gotta uh, say if that if next week's episode is just there to teach Ryan an important lesson about his birth father I'm I'm gonna scream into this microphone I, I'm pretty confident <laughs> the next week's episode is going to be much more yeah, probably not. centric probably not. It better um, be oh my god Although, i thought the same about rosa so but this one i don't know how they can not make it about yaz try no, as they it's might Chibnall. he could try i don't know yeah but, i mean the, okay. the best the best news is that you know we have a run of episodes that are not being written by Chibnall. but the mm -hmm. thing to remember is um that when um uh, Rosa was first announced. Chibnall was not announced as the co-writer. We didn't find out until the episode aired and his name was on the title card. And my big fear is that Chibnall will have co-written these episodes as well. I, 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 I don't like that I'm 50% into this season and I don't like what Chibnall is doing with his writing. I, I, don't yeah. like, I don't like being disappointed by my favourite show. I don't like being... Doctor Who, like, one of my favourite quotes from anyone comes from Terry Pratchett the late great mm -hmm. Sir Terry Pratchett, um, when they did a, a, a when, when Sky One in the UK did a mini series adaptation of his book Hogfather, one of the things he said of it is that uh, it showed that ingenuity in a time of no money could win out in a time of money but no ingenuity. And right now it feels very much like Doctor Who has no money and no ingenuity. And that is a scary place for one of the longest running, most creative science fiction shows in human history, in television history, in media history, yeah. to be in Wait. right now. 
I'm you not say looking... no money and no ingenuity? Because it looks like it has more money than it's it, ever it, had. Doctor Who is, and this is something that Stephen Moffat has commented on, they are having to do more with less and less money every year. Oh, People talk about how great Matt Smith's first season was and how much money they must have had. They had, I want to say, like somewhere between uh, three quarters and two thirds of the budget that David Tennant's last season had, and they were able to stretch it. One of the reasons why the, the season is 10 episodes instead of the 12 and 13 episodes that we got during the Russell T. Davies and, and Stephen Moffat eras is they're having to make that money stretch further. So to make yeah. it stretch further they're just producing fewer episodes yeah and and that's the concern like we there are there are places where the show looks really really good i love the new opening title sequence oh, uh, i love that I, one too, yeah. I, I i loved the look of the new time vortex i'm lo- I love the, the oh yeah the, we did talk about that yesterday that time vortex yeah. looked amazing yeah and, and the, fit with the fit with the credits too yeah i mean it's a small thing but it, it's really cool and it, i don't know it's one of the things i think really appeals to the yeah. fans when they when they but, do but there are concessions. There are concessions being made in other places, like the TARDIS interior. As much as I love the aesthetic, that it is the smallest the TARDIS has looked since it came back in two thousand and five. And you do not want a small TARDIS when you have four. Yeah, when you have four companions. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like in order to get a wide shot of everyone standing in the TARDIS, they had to physically move the camera outside and away from. They were having to shoot through the set to get that wide shot. Oh, it, I miss like. R- r- it doesn't matter whether you liked the aesthetic of Capaldi's TARDIS or not, or of either of Matt Smith's TARDISes or not. Um, the 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 size uh, of those TARDISes, they were epic. They had layers. That it, 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 you know, they were th- particularly Capaldi's TARDIS was a three-dimensional set. Yeah. And this TARDIS is not. It is small. It is cramped. It looks like it's going to be very difficult to shoot in. And because of the way that TV budgets work, this is our TARDIS set for at least two years. I don't. I don't like. I don't. I'm, I don't. I, I don't like having to like complain about my favorite TV show. Yeah. I, I don't like <laughs> constantly. I'm. 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 I'm you do it start. well though. Yeah, but I don't want to. That's the thing. Like, I'm, <laughs> well, who knows? I mean, all we need is a stretch of really good episodes, and I think that that kind of how should I put it? You remember the good moments of Doctor Who more than the bad, which is yeah. good considering you know the ups and downs of its history. I feel like Ben remembers everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I try to. I, I, I had wondered why it's so small. I'd hate to think it's just because they don't have the budget to make it it's, bigger. It's, Although, it's budget. It's, it's, yeah. If they could have built a three-tier TARDIS set, they would have done that. But they just they, they don't have the money right now. Like Stephen Moffat talked about that recently in an interview um, about how much money the show doesn't have, and that it's constantly at risk of – the show is at risk of looking cheap. Now, again, that was misreported by a bunch of news outlets as Moffat blasts the new series of Doctor Who for looking cheap. He didn't say that. He said the show is at risk of looking cheap because yeah. they're getting less and less money every year. Anyways, though, so uh, closing thoughts. I mean, it, it was an interesting discussion. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> I went into this wondering if we would be able to get enough out of the Saranga conundrum to fill an episode, but uh, – it's interesting because I think the Kasanga, uh, the, the whatever conundrum, uh, illustrates a lot of the larger problems with Doctor Who. Uh, it's sort of, a, how should I put it? It's a, it's a wonderful entry to everything. As much as we do like the series, this was a perfect episode to bring up all the things that we're not too crazy about for this series. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, I'm very much looking forward to next week. We will finally get yaz focus that we've been wishing and hoping for for so long uh i'm thinking of signing off but i'm wondering are there any closing thoughts closing thoughts about this episode or hopes for next week um there was a couple things i wanted to say i loved i loved that the doctor um 
mentioned Hamilton and having yes. seen all 900 casts. My kid is obsessed with Hamilton, and I loved that there's been 900 yeah. casts of Hamilton. I loved it, but just knowing how hard those tickets were to get, I was sort of th- I was sort of wishing the doctor would have you know shared the tickets a little bit more. But yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna. I wanted to take my kid, but I was like, I can't spend six hundred dollars on. Oh a God, yeah. We were lucky um, to see it in Chicago, which which is probably one of the casts. You might have been there. Could have been. <laughs> and I also loved um, that Yoss named him Avocado Pear. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Did, just, did, did anyone understand what that was referenced to, or it's just some weird thing? Like, at some point in the future, we're gonna have a hero named Avocado. I think it was just a, a, a goofy little joke. I don't think there was anything deeper behind it than that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, especially because you know, if he was named Ryan or Graham, he would be laughed at. So yes, yes, he would be. Uh, what was it? He would be laughing stock. I noticed yeah. that. I guess yeah. in Britain, it's not a laughing stock. You're just laughing stock. Oh, that was. I think well, it, it was a laughing stock. It's just his accent. Uh, kind of oh, okay. killed uh, killed or muffled the A a little bit. Oh, okay. Cool. Anyways, uh, I'm looking forward to it. We'll see you back next week. But uh, thanks, Renee, and thanks, Ben, for, for sitting and talking about the Saranga conundrum. Uh, I'm signing off. Thanks for listening. Check out our other podcasts on iTunes and all podcast apps, and check out our site, thegrandgeekgathering.com, for our articles, videos, and more. You can stay updated from our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, And we stream on Twitch. So come and join the gathering. Have a great week. And GGG. GGG. GGG.